Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I wanted to just take one more minute, one more opportunity to point you to um, the bulletin, that the, something new that we're doing. You'll notice on the very back of the bulletin, um, we're going to have each week a parish-wide prayer. This week, we're using the collect, known as the prayer for children. And that's something that we would even invite you to pray this week uh, at different points. We pray for these children. We pray for the children of the parish of Epiphany, however you want to word that. Uh, pray for that. And then each week, we'll have a catechism question. Uh, and this comes from the catechism, our catechism the Angl- for the Anglican Church in North America. Uh, so the question this week is, what is the gospel? Is that the first question in the catechism? So uh, the m- good one, most important one. Um, so each week we'll uh, have a catechism question, and it- it'll take about three years to cycle through all of those catechism questions, which is exactly the cycle of the liturgical seasons. There's years A, B, and C, creatively named, and we're starting now year A, um, so it's a great opportunity to, uh, today is the first Sunday of your A, so great, great opportunity to start uh, these questions in the catechism. Uh, we also switched to the Anglican Church in North America lectionary tonight, which again, mostly the same, but a little different. So if, you've, if you're used to going to that revised common, le- common lectionary website for any reason, don't go there anymore. Go to the Anglican Church one. Uh, and then as I mentioned earlier, the Feast of St. Nicholas, which is this Friday, the collect there. So again, we do want you to take these home and make use of them uh, during the week, which is why we've adjusted their size and content. Um, it's just an opportunity for us as Anglicans to continue to uh, be in prayer for one another during the week and to continue to learn about the Christian faith. Well, again, first Sunday of Advent, hence the, the blue vestments. And as soon as Sarah walked into the uh, vesting room tonight to pray, she said, oh, my favorite vestments. And they are good. I like them, too. I like the blue, uh, the Advent blue, uh, which is pretty unique, unique for just Anglicans uh, to wear. Uh, but the color reminds us that we've, we're entering a new season, and that season of Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming, to come. And traditionally, Advent, the four Sundays of Advent, hence the four um, candles, the three blue and the, the one rose-colored candle for Refreshment Sunday, the third week of Advent, and then the Christ candle, which we light on Christmas Day. These four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, to the Feast of the Incarnation, um, the, the readings are going to focus us on kind of the, the four last things, if you will, the traditional themes of Advent, like death and judgment, heaven, hell. That's, that's also, I mean, that's what Advent does, but it's not just that, of course. They're always anticipating the Feast of the Incarnation on Christmas Day, so it's the sense of both comings, right? The coming of Christ into uh, Bethlehem as a child, but also his second coming in which he will, in fact, uh, solve the problem of death by restoring uh, all things um, to himself, but also of judgment, making right relationships with uh, all people, and then uh, heaven and hell, the final destination of all people, one or the other. Um, and so that's, that's what Advent does for us. It begins to focus us. And so the readings do that for us. And uh, again, I would encourage you to, to reflect on these readings even during the week and what's coming up, which are uh, the references are listed in the, in the bulletin. But tonight I noticed that our readings, at least the New Testament and the Gospel reading present an inherent tension that I think we live in as believers. The Gospel of Matthew says things like this, as you heard. No one knows. You do not know. You do not expect. So Matthew presents, and part of this reading tonight, beginning in verse 36, kind of like we're just ignorant people. 
We don't know certain things about this coming of the Son of God. We know he's coming. That's what we confess in the creed every week. But again, we don't know when he's coming. No one knows. You don't know. Even the Son of God, Jesus himself, didn't know this date. Only the Father. But then Paul, in the book of Romans, says things like this. You know the time. The hour has come. The day is at hand. So Matthew says, you don't know. And Paul says, you know. That's a tension. I mean, I believe that we can know and not know, right? I can theoretically understand how a vehicle works more or less and not know how to replace the transmission on it. Like, I know what a transmission does, but I don't, could never fix a transmission. Well, I don't want to say never. With YouTube videos, who knows? I'd give it a chance. But, uh, you know, but it would be terrible. But I would, you know, why not try it? So, but again, like, so there's this tension, like, you don't know, but you do know. And, and, and these are separated by some number of years. Obviously, Jesus is uh, about the year, you know, 30 uh, AD, and Romans comes maybe 30 to 40 years later. But it, it can't just be a that's not how we can account for this tension between knowing and not knowing. And so I think that's a, a good image for us in Advent, this kind of knowing yet not knowing. So we need to think about like, well, what do we know? What does Paul tell us in Romans that we know? He says, you know the time for the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The alarm went off this morning and Christina turned it off and neither of us moved quickly and she said, oh, just the last day to just relax, just to, you know, not have to actually get up with the alarm, right? But Paul says, you know the time, the hour's come for you to wake from sleep, right? And of course, not literal sleep, but from some sort of a sleep to the things of God, perhaps. For salvation is nearer to us now, he continues, than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what, what do we know? Well, we know, according to Paul, that we are to live a particular way as believers. As followers of the Son of God, we know through this passage and others in the New Testament that we have been called to a particular life and lifestyle. There's also the image here of light and darkness. The light imagery is more uh, obvious in our readings fr from Christmas time and then Epiphany for sure, on, beginning on January 6th. But, but here Paul says, like, basically, you want to do the things that you could do in the daylight. Right? You want to do things that people can see, right? And, and, and aren't sinful, aren't scandalous. The night, on the other hand, that's where you do these things where you don't want people to see. And so as believers, the time is now. We know that we need to live in the light, not in the darkness. We know that there's a proper way to be believers in the 21st century still than the way in which we should not act. Matter of fact, this follows on the hills, as we heard read, right? Like, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, Paul says, right? But he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul repeats the great commandment, right? We need to behave in a way that's loving to others. I mean, God, yes, others, certainly. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we're called 
We know the time has come to love, to love God, to love our neighbors, to behave in a way that is honoring to God, to cast off the works of darkness and to live fully in the light. And right, this, this is about making choices in life, is it not? Like when presented with a temptation, we have the free will to know, to think about, to respond to this. And Paul says, you can't claim ignorance, I think is what he's getting at, because you know what time it is. John Chrysostom said this, the time is short. The day of resurrection and of the terrible judgment is fast approaching. If you have done anything that, if you have done everything that was asked of you and are prepared for it, then you have nothing to fear. But if you have not, then look out. I like that translation, right? But if you have not, then look out. So we're reminded through those words of Chrysostom, but through the words of Paul, that the second coming of Christ is near. It it always has been. It continues to be. We believe the Lord will come to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, right? And so we need to live in light of that reality. Pelagius, who unfortunately is mostly known as being a heretic, but every now and then he got it right, he said, It is the hour for you to strive for that which is more perfect and complete. For you should not always be children and infants. Right? In other words, you should be maturing as believers that in light of this Uh, shortness of time in light of the fact that we know the time and that the hour has come we need to not be children infants but we need to walk as mature christians so again that's the one side of the coin that we know these things but yet we come back to the gospel reading from matthew in which there are certain things that we don't know and one of those is exactly when christ is going to come right you you take your chances right you're throwing a surprise party for someone You think you've got it figured out exactly when they're going to get home, right? You've orchestrated events, right? But you you really don't know that's when they're going to come. So you rush around to make sure that you don't blow the surprise by not being ready when the person shows up. Now, they might show up early, but the point is, is you think you know, but you really don't know when they're going to come walking up the sidewalk and into the door and perhaps blow the surprise, right? So we need to be ready. Right? If you were, had worked for weeks, months to put a surprise party together, I think you would want it to be a surprise, would you not? And so we need to prepare ourselves. That's what we know, because what we don't know is when Christ will actually come. Another early church father says this, When Christ taught us that no one knows the day on which the end of time will come, he removed from us any need to be concerned about its date. Thus, he could allow us an abundant amount of time for repentance, yet still keep us solicitous for fear of the uncertain, and so as to avoid giving anyone the idea of a particular day by expressing his will. Right? So, deadlines. You have a deadline coming up. You've decided you need to meet the deadline, whether that's a paper for a grade your taxes, you know, whatever. You, there's a deadline coming up, and you know that deadline, right? So you procrastinate, you might procrastinate, you might procrastinate, but finally you're going to sit down and do it. And Hillary basically, that was Hillary Poitier, Hillary's basically saying, if you knew the time, that's what you would do. 
you would live however you want it, and then when the date got here, then you would get busy preparing for it. But again, when Christ taught us that no one knows the day on which the end of time will come, he removed from us any need to be concerned about that date so that we would live every day as if that's the day. That God would give us this incredible amount of space for repentance and to live well for him, to follow those commandments that are there in Romans, those expectations laid out by Paul. But at the same time, he would take away any sense that we could procrastinate and put it off to the end. I'm not a procrastinator by nature, but I'm raising one. I won't say who. Um, And we've had to learn, Christine and I, to let that be the way one of those children operates, right? It's not how I want to do things. It drives me nuts. But this son, who procrastinates of the two, thrives in that environment. That might be good for pull questions and things like that, but that's not good for how we are to live as Christians. It would make no sense. But I'm afraid that's actually what a lot of us do. I think that's just what a lot of us do. A modern commentator says this, instead of trying to predict the future, Jesus wants us to prepare for it. The former is a waste of time. The latter is an exercise of wisdom that every disciple should take to heart. The Lord is calling each of us to a state of readiness. When I was in the military, we did field exercises. We went to the deserts of central California, dug foxholes, got the scorpions out of them as best we could, and then proceeded for two weeks to live in it right? Freezing cold at night, because it's central California, even in the summer, hot all day, battle ready, that meant sleeves down, buttons buttoned, miserable, miserable time. I've probably told you this before, I got one shower in nine days, and it was near the beginning of those nine days. So by the time I got out of the field, it was terrible. The reason for all of that was readiness. We were not actually fighting anyone in central California, except hoping that when you crawl down in that foxhole at night, that in fact the scorpions had moved on. It was readiness. That's what I heard all the time in the military. These exercises are to make us ready. And in the CBs, you would rotate between construction seasons where you would build and at least be prepared to build, right, to practice that craft. Then you would rotate, I don't know if it's every three years or something like that, into a military mode where you had to prepare yourself to be that defensive combat unit that we also were and all for what reason to be ready so if the call came you could go and that's what the lord is calling each of us to so we know what we should be doing we don't know when christ is coming but our calling as believers is to be ready i didn't know this until today and i'm going to trust people who are better greek scholars than i am But in the Nicene Creed, we often confess in English, you know, Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. Future tense, will come. Turns out, in the original Nicene Creed, that's a future participle. It's not the future tense. Which means this. 
But what it actually is saying is something like Jesus is about to come to judge the living and the dead. So the one is, oh, he will come. The other one is like, no, he's about to come. So be ready. I like that. And I want us through this Advent season, as we confess the creed, as we will do here in a few moments, as we confess the creed, I want us to think about that line. That Jesus not only will be doing that, which is true, it is future, but it's future in the sense of like immediate future, not distant future necessarily. And for us to live into that reality, to to think about that, to, to reflect on that this Advent, that the coming of Jesus isn't just out there, but that it's closer now than when we first believed in the words of the scriptures. And so as we prepare ourselves this Advent season to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, assuming we make it there, because if we take seriously the second coming of Jesus Christ, we might not celebrate Christmas this year. Well, we would, but in a very different way, right? We would be before the person of Jesus Christ celebrating him. And so let us prepare ourselves this Advent season by living into this tension between not knowing yet knowing that we know what to do, even though we don't know when Christ is going to come back and honor those things. Let us ask his spirit to empower us to do the things that he wants us to do. Let us take the grace that we receive by way of the sacraments, ask the Lord to use that in our life to please him, to make decisions that Paul like Paul is outlining in 13, to live in the light and not to live in the darkness. Let us not worry about when Christ is going to come, but let us live as if he's coming now, imminently, at any moment. Why? Because Jesus is about to come. And as we confess that, let it be a reminder to us that, again, the Lord is calling each of us to a state of readiness. So let us be ready every day throughout this Advent season. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.